Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Fox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Peck. Once again, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links on this Thursday May 13, 2021, we are two days away from UFC 262 in Houston, Texas. We will hopefully have a new lightweight champion of the world crowned on Saturday night at the Toyota Center as the press conference wrapped up not long ago. Hope you all enjoyed that. And we're also on the back end of a very busy week in the world of mixed martial arts. And we'll discuss all that and more on the show this week. Before we introduce the combatants, a couple things right off the bat. First, a big thank you to everybody who watched, listened, or stream the 50th episode gauntlet show last week it was chaotic but we got through the damn thing and uh the feedback has been wonderful so much appreciated on that also phoenix carnavali she isn't just the btl champion she's like the ultimate ultimate btl champion and she's also very busy so we don't know when she'll be able to come back and defend the, the title so this matchup this week will determine one half of an interim title matchup on the show next week against Jed Mishu as we're back to the normal format this week. And uh, I felt it was good timing on the heels of Neil on Neil this past Saturday. We do another matchup sort of on that scale. We're going to do Alex versus Alex this week on the program. So let us introduce the two Alexes that will be competing this week. And we'll get right to the first question. First, let us introduce a man who had a fantastic showing in his round against Phoenix Carnavale last week. And I will say... A lot of people have been hitting me up, screaming robbery in that round. A lot of support towards the Prince of Positivity as he returns to the panel once again this week. Let us say hello to MMA Fighting Zone. My best friend, Alex Kaylee. How are you, sir? What is this? What? <laughs> can we just? Oh, no, I'm wrong way. Can we guess? Yeah, that. Can we? Thank you. Yeah, this one. Okay. Yeah, that. No, yeah. Oh. Ah. <laughs> um hello my best friend yes uh, it's great to see you it's great to be here with everyone uh, i hope i hope people know that even though you and i are best friends that I, you're never biased on this show well i mean people can look at my record and and they can see that uh that clearly there is no bias otherwise i'd be doing a lot better uh but otherwise i'm great i'm happy to be here and yes i felt good about my last couple of swings on uh on btl uh and going head to head with with the goat phoenix last week uh i i for the first time maybe ever Mike, I felt like I really, really belong with the elite of Between the Links. So we'll see how that goes today. There you go. And back on the panel this week, she wanted another shot. She ran into the Carnivale buzzsaw as well last week. Let us say hello to Alex Wenling to round out this Alex versus Alex matchup. Alex, what's going on? Welcome back to the show. 
I am super excited to be back and to prove who is the elite Alex here. So let's go. Oh, snap. Here we go. This is what we now, like hold to on see. A second. Alex versus Alex. Mike, hold on a sec. Hold on. Mike and the truck. One second. Why? Why am I the only one who caught an L on my record uh, last <laughs> week? And 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 uh, 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 awesome Alex here. We'll go with awesome Alex. We have a cool Alex, of course. Alex Subs. Why does awesome Alex over here? What does it say debut and with, with no uh, no with no blemish on her record? Truck, do you want to answer you're that one? Like, change it on the air because you're calling it out now. <laughs> That's a good question. And AK, <laughs> and he responds by muting AK. And I got a whole okay. <laughs> well, maybe maybe that'll like change. for Doom. I'm going to have this overturn like we're doing. Me and Alex are matching. We have this like tannish color going on. So we have the Asian yeah, going on and the orange. Maybe next time we'll do yellow. So it's just like really comes all together. <laughs> it's all coming full circle here. The round of applause from the live studio audience. Let us get right into this thing. Let us begin with the festivities that took place last weekend in the world of mixed martial arts. We had a really good offering from Bellator on Friday, Bellator 258 is in the books. We have a new Bantamweight champion in Sergio Pettis. Anthony Johnson was victorious in the cage, not so much out of the cage as you may have seen. Peter Queeley got a big win over Patricky Pitbull, and MVP delivered the goods and then some against Derek Anderson, plus some big-time performances, some big upsets in the prelims, and then the UFC countered back on Saturday with UFC Vegas 26, big win for Marina Rodriguez. A resume-building finish for Alex Morono against Donald Cerrone. We'll touch on Cowboy a little bit later on. But AK, we are going to begin with you this week, my friend. A lot of MMA happened. We can even go back to this past Thursday with the PFL and how that card ended controversially. Kayla Harrison's big win and the mic drop. But from those 72 hours of action, AK, what was your biggest takeaway of all? I'm kind of extending beyond the 72 hours here. But I mean, and this is not really anything new, but just another reminder that Come hell or high water, the UFC is going to put a show together. Because let me tell you something. Uh, there was some doubt, at least I know among us internally, that there, was there going to be a card on Saturday? As of Monday, you know, the, the, the Rodriguez-Waterson main event was not officially announced. It had been targeted for a few weeks, but it was not officially announced. We knew that uh, uh, Cerrone had lost his opponent, of course, and, and, and you know, we thought he was, that Murano was coming in. But again, it looked like the UFC was really holding out for... Uh, the Rodriguez Watterson thing to happen, and thankfully it did, and everything got signed, and everyone's visas checked out. And uh, but I mean, I, I, can't, I can't get over it. We the original main event, Dillashaw Sanhagen gone, Pomain, Cerrone and Sanchez. We all know what's happened there with Diego, uh, and that fight's not happening. And then before all that, even there was like Holm versus Pena was supposed to be on this. Francisco, uh, Rod, uh, uh, what's his name, Figueroa, excuse me, versus uh, Jimmy Flick. Flick retired. That's uh, it, it, just out of nowhere. Uh, Roxy Matafari, Tyler Santos, uh, Roxy had a, had a bad knee injury. And then within like 48 hours of the show, uh, Hibas Hill, Rothwell Linz, and uh, Benoit Adashev all got canceled for various reasons. And the show still went on. The show still went on. So uh, that that is is just ludicrous to me. Uh, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Again, the fact that UFC can do this is in many ways impressive. I, I give so much credit to the staff and the people who, who, who make these wheels keep moving. It's insane to me. And the fighters, of course, uh, and their coaches. But outside of that, look, uh, Marina Rodriguez, she's a contender. We know this. Michelle Watterson, the ultimate company woman. Uh, Gregor Gillespie, still one to watch at 155 for anyone who's kind of like, oh, maybe the ship has sailed on him being a lightweight contender. Heck no, man. That's, this guy is, we, we knew he had the skill set to be a, a champ, and now we see the heart too. 
So I uh, love what we saw from Gregor. Uh, as for Bellator, man, my takeaway again is pretty broad. Uh, uh, Sergio Pettis, for one thing, totally lived up to uh, finally living up to the hype uh, that we've seen from him for years. So that was a great performance. Uh, and also, I just want to say, like, I think Bellator's return to activity or to operations, I say, has been pretty strong. I think if people look back on, on the the the, uh, the events they held in uh, across April and May, the post you know co- uh, pandemic, not post pandemic, but during pandemic, sort of their comeback. It's been a really good showing for Bellator with, again, the title fights they've had and with the start of the uh, Light Heavyweight Grand Prix. A lot of people delivered, uh, and there's been a lot of good fights. Uh, there's been a few clunkers here and there. That's really any any uh, major promotion that puts on so many fight cards. So uh, just overall for Bellator, really nice return to action, and then they'll be back again uh, next Friday, I think. Alex Wendling, what do you think? Like When the weekend wrapped up and the, the UFC card ended, when you think back on those 72 hours of MMA, what was your biggest takeaway? My biggest takeaway is that there are big things coming for Bellator. I think that is the best show that they've had since moving to Showtime. Boy, when the saying where you say, I can beat you with one hand was taken quite literally when Jose Augusto (laughs) nearly knocked out Anthony Rumble Johnson. When I first was watching that fight, it kind of surprised me that Anthony was a little bit smaller. For some reason, I had imagined him to be this huge, huge guy, but Jose actually made him look small. So I'm super excited for the light heavyweight Grand Prix. He's going to have to go against Vadim next. And he said in his, um, he said in his press conference, he's like, Vadim's good. And he said it very assuringly, just being like, he's going to be a tough matchup, but he hadn't been thinking about anyone else because underestimating Jose could result in a defeat. And it, it almost happened. He lost that first round because he doesn't even remember being nearly knocked out. And then we had that uh, decision win for Sergio Pettis, which is just so nice to see that Anthony Pettis's little brother is making a name for himself and showing that he's not just a little brother anymore. So big things for Bellator. And then on the UFC side, Of course, I love the main card, Marina Rodriguez versus Karate Hottie. I'm excited to see what goes on next for that because Marina Rodriguez is six now and Mackenzie Dern is five, but she called out Joanna. So I'm kind of interested to see if we're going to get some Brazilian on Brazilian action, but Mackenzie's much more of a jujitsu while Marina has the Muay Thai background. So I'm excited to see where they go from there. But then when we talk about Donald Cerrone and having that first round loss, It makes you wonder, like, what's going to be next for him? So other than that, I thought it was a great weekend. I'm not going to lie. I took a little bit of a beach day when I found out that he boss and Hill was canceled because that was the fight that I was looking forward to most. But I still got to rewatch it before the show, guys. Not going to call myself out completely. (laughs) Okay, so let's we'll go. We'll get back to the Bellator event in a second. But let's touch on. Hold on. Hold on. Go ahead, AK. Hold on. Is this is this newbie trying to show me up with this on point Brazilian pronunciation? Oh, oh, Rodriguez. Oh, I'm sorry. I said Rod- Rodriguez. What, what was that? Oh, Jose. Oh, okay. Oh, I see how it is. Okay. We're, 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 we're I thought this was going to be cordial. I thought we were both Alex's. This was going to be cordial. I get it. Okay. We're doing, we're doing this now. Okay. I'm just, I'm sorry, Mike. I didn't mean to, I apologize. That was rude to me. I interrupted, but I just, now I know how, how it's going to be. Okay. I'm sorry, Mike. Please go ahead. Taking it to the okay. next level. I see it. Well, speaking. Speaking of Marina Rodriguez, because AK made an interesting point, she picks up the unanimous unanimous decision win over Michelle Watterson. And as that night progressed on Saturday, and we saw some of the great performances and fights on the card, one of my biggest takeaways is while I thought the main event was a great fight, I just wondered why they like went that route, right? Like just only because I love the matchup, but the fight came together on a week's notice. Rodriguez didn't even get 
to Vegas until Thursday. So she basically like quarantine, cut to 125. She made weight and fought. So they did a lot of movement moving around and a lot of moving pieces just to make this fight happen in a week's notice. So it was interesting in that aspect. It was a hell of a showing from Rodriguez noted about. So Alex Wendling, what stuck out to you most from the main event, more specifically Marina Rodriguez's performance? Like what did you learn about Marina that you didn't know heading into the fight? Well, I definitely knew that it was going to be a tough matchup for Karate Hottie coming in. I think <clears throat> we she proved that she has that fight and that she was going to try to make that comeback towards the end, but it just wasn't enough. And I just, it really made me realize that Marina's a little, a few inches really makes that difference because it was really hard for Karate Hottie to close that distance. And when I met Mackenzie Dern at Ruka, she's a little bit smaller than me and I'm 5'4". So now it makes me wonder, like, do people add like maybe one or two inches to their official stats? Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how she sizes up to the other contenders. But I just think that there are levels to this shit. Like, I don't think that the top tier fighters, Wei Li, Rose, Joanna, I don't think that Marina is even ready to compete with that. I think she needs to work on her takedown defense. But when it comes to a whole striking war, I would love to see that Joanna matchup. But it's definitely nice to see some other names being thrown in there. And hopefully she can break into the top five soon. AK, what did you learn about Marina that you didn't already know, especially her taking the fight on short notice, the long road it took for her to get from Brazil to Vegas, and basically turning around and fighting after arrival on just 48 hours? Hold on. Now Wendling is name dropping. Oh, I was just I was just hanging out at Ruka with Mackenzie Dern. I mean, oh, and now she's and now she's not even on the screen. Mike, what kind of Mike? Mike, Mike, what's going on? Mike, what kind of show are you running here? I thought this. What's going? Well, who did you? Who? What kind of of savage did you bring in to fight me today? All right, what is going on she's, here? She is no selling you, AK. No selling Goodness. you. The funny thing I, is, I, is that listen. I'm that off. connection happened just because we were out in the bars in uh, Newport and I had run into Jason Perillo and I was just like, yo, Jason, what's up? And uh, people just had told Another me name. about the gym being so nice. And when I finally went to try to get some interviews, um, I got to meet her. And the first thing she does is she runs up to me and says hello. And I was just like, you're the nicest person ever. And her, her daughter wasn't there. So that was the only bummer. I'm going to have to see the little baby. She's so cute. But continue. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so hold on. I'm oh, sorry. One second. Hold on. Hold on. One second. Let me get down here. So here's these names you dropped, madam. Here's these names you dropped. Okay. All well, right. Sorry, cool. I said you're calling me right now. It's Connor McGregor. Listen, we gotta okay. Guys. All right. I, listen, I haven't left the house in like eight months because Ontario is a is a is a is a vaccine lacking nightmare. And you're talking about you get you run into Mackenzie Dern and Jason Frillo. Okay. I need to focus on the question. Uh, Marina Rodriguez, right? Yes. What did we learn? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if we learned that much new about her. I, th I, I, uh, if I recall, I believe she was a pretty sizable favorite going in. I think a lot of people like her as a potential contender, uh, even though, you know, again, there was a, anytime you have like that kind of draw loss, like uh, back to back thing, people like, it's like they kind of forget about you, which is a bit silly because, again, uh, her fight with Esparza, she showed off a lot of good stuff against a former um, a former strawweight champion. Uh, the fight with Calvillo was another tough fight. So if anything, I, I would think even though she didn't get the win in those fights, I would have hoped that they would have uh, that they would have shown more. Uh, sorry, that people would have seen more and understood, like, why she's being viewed as a future contender. But again, now back to back wins obviously looks a lot more palatable. It's a lot easier to sell. Against again uh, Amanda Hibas, who was you know of course being billed as 
uh, and maybe still is as the next big thing at 115. And then Michelle Waterson, a long time veteran. So uh, I don't know if we learned a lot about her. I think uh, I think maybe it's more fair to say that people in general kind of got a, a better idea of, of how talented this woman is because yeah, she's got the physical tools for it. Uh, she's got the skill set. Uh, she's she's right there. I think athletically uh, in her prime or at least. Uh, just about to maybe, maybe coming about at the end of it. But yeah, I think, I think we, I don't know if she necessarily showed anything new, but definitely being the main event of this card, more people got to learn about her. She's mean, man. She's mean. When she throws, she goes for the kill. She is uh she's no joke. Watterson, tough as nails, great fight. Uh, before we move on to another big storyline from this weekend, I want to talk about Sergio Pettis because he looked phenomenal on Friday night. He defeated a damn good fighter in Juan Archuleta, and his game has certainly elevated since heading over to Bellator, and this title win helped a bit more, like Alex Wenling said, in giving Sergio his own identity. Like the Anthony Pettis' little brother tag is starting to fade away more and more with each performance, and with that win, AK, and we know how fun 135 is across the globe. We we sing its praises every Sunday and on to the next one, but... uh. We like to do these cross-promotional conversations. After that performance over Juan Archuleta, where do you put Sergio Pettis in terms of the best bantamweights wow. in the world after his win over Archuleta? Wow. We can't just let the man enjoy his enjoy his win being the king of Bellator, which which has, I think, a very good bantamweight division. Uh, but, yeah, no, I think it's a fair question to ask. I, I mean, look, I, 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 as, as cool as that win was, uh, and as much as uh, Sergio has kind of, again, fulfilled this potential that so many people have said he's had for so many years, I- I'm obviously not going to say I don't, I don't think he's the number one uh, bantamweight fighter in the world. And there's no shame in that. As you mentioned, it is just a ridiculously deep division. Uh, man, I, if I had to, it's, you know, it's funny. We have bantamweight matchups coming up that would help to like resolve this question so much. And also, it depends how a lot of people think about Aljo. I'm fine with, with saying Aljo is uh, the champ. I don't know if you want to say he's the best, but he is the champ. Let me run this down. Let me go. I got I got, I got the mystery rankings here, Mike. Let me go. <laughs> let me go one by one. I would have him below Aljo. I'd have him below Piotr Jan. I would have him below Corey Sanhagen. I'd have him below Rob Font. Ah, and then this is a tricky one. Now I'm hitting the Frankie Edgar Marlon Bud Ice territory. I and people know I'm a Frankie fanboy. I'll you know what? I, he's in the top ten. He's in the top ten. Uh, I'll say outside the top five. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of cheating here. I won't be specific. I'll put him outside. So somewhere in the six, six to 10 range. What do you think, Alex? When like, do you, would you agree? Like, like if somehow the world of MMA changed and we can make these matchups, like, would you favor Sergio Pettis in a matchup with say like Dominic Cruz or somebody like that? Um, I'm super excited for UFC 263 just because we'll get to see Davis and Figueredo and Brandon Moreno go at it. I know they're at flyweight, but they're both uh, super quick as well. So for the bantamweights, um, I don't know how I would rank him. I think I would have to see him go against a few more contenders, but I think I would have to put him definitely behind uh, a Dominic Cruz I don't think he's at that level yet, but he's only he's now in his 30s or is he like 28? But um, I think he still has work to do. But against Juan Archuleta, being able to kind of control the fight the way he did and get the decision win was big for him. I thought personally Bellator won the weekend overall. Their card was a lot of fun. It was a really good card from top top to bottom. It was great to be back on the road covering an event again. I thought Gregor Gillespie 
stole the show on Saturday. And let's be clear, I think he stole my heart and a lot of other hearts with his performance on Saturday. What a fun weekend. But uh, we go from a fun question to answer to a tough question to answer. We'll get to that in a moment. But the points for round one goes to... Got to give it to the Prince of Positivity. He is on the board, one to nothing. Come back. That's right, rookie. Spirited. That's, that's right, rookie. <laughs> <laughs> my, record might not, my, my, my record might not be glamorous, but I put in the rounds, all right? I put in the rounds. I, put, <laughs> I, I, paid, I paid my dues. <laughs> oh, yes. No, I'm ready. I'm warming up, you know? The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. There we go. So let's head to the to the tough question I just mentioned. Let us move ahead to the future of a legend, a first ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt about it. One of the most game fighters of all time, Donald Cerrone. So this man was scheduled to fight Diego Sanchez on Saturday. All of that craziness happened where Diego was released. And on six days notice, as we found out when I spoke with Alex Morono on Tuesday, Morono gets the call, steps up, Stops Cowboy at the end of the first round. And he picks up the biggest win of his career. So before we actually get into the tough questions, Alex, let's sort of accentuate the positive side of this. To me, I feel like, and it's not all that surprising, the aftermath has been about Donald Cerrone and his future. Hell, it's a question on this program, but I feel like not enough credit is being given to Alex Morono for what he did on Saturday and picking up the biggest win of his career in the fashion in which he did so. Do you agree with that, that Morono's just not getting enough love here? I definitely agree with that to a certain extent. He did take it on short notice. And it's just hard because Donald Cerrone, he's such a legend. So what you wanted to see was him come out there and, and really kill it. But you have to think that Donald Cerrone, he usually fights at 155 and he took the fight at 170 so that he could fight Diego Sanchez, who isn't a young up and comer. So I think maybe that's part of the reason why the hype train for Alex Morano isn't happening. But I mean, a win is a win. And when it comes down to the matchmaking, people will remember it. The people that matter, at least the matchmakers will remember. So I think even if it's not getting all the hype right now and people are more focused on what the next move is for Donald, it's like uh, AK right now. He's put in the rounds. Donald Cerrone has put in the rounds. Everyone knows his name, you know, so people are going to be more focused on that. 
AK, your response to uh, to that and the fact that I maybe Morono isn't getting enough credit for this victory. I don't know how to react to being compared to someone who was just knocked out and in, inside in of a round, but I, I know it was intended as a compliment. So I'm just going to take it that way. My therapist would be very proud of me for processing that. Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, no, look, it's, it's hard for, um, there's so, there was so much hanging over this matchup. Uh, I, I want to believe that people won't forget this. Uh, I'm sure the UFC will do a good job of, you know, showing this, uh, this, uh, this finish over and over again, whenever Alex Morano fights and that's great. Um, but as we know in MMA, uh, popularity doesn't really transfer over like that. There's probably, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong on a couple of occasions. I'm sure people can think of like three or four great examples off the top of their head of like, oh, a time someone beat a champion or beat a, another star and took their, you know, uh, sort of took their notoriety. But it doesn't really work that way. Um, actually, actually, often when you beat a fan favorite, you become uh, quite despised. Uh, this happened to Rashad Evans. I'll never forget. He after he beat Chuck Liddell, he was for I think the next like two years. Anytime he showed his face on camera, which was absurd, but Chuck was so beloved. And uh, and there's other there are, there's other instances of that. So I, I don't know what's going to happen to Morano, but I think a lot of people are and are kind of looking at this more as like yes, uh, unfortunately the negative side of it. Oh well, Cerrone, you know he's he's not a real welterweight. He ran to a real welterweight, and um, and this is what happened. And 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 uh, he should have been fighting Diego instead. And then it goes into that whole storyline. And suddenly, even Alex Morano, he mentioned uh, Joshua Fabia, I think in an interview. Uh, recently that was on our site about uh, saying <laughs> jokingly that you know he had to thank Fabia for for kind of uh, perhaps mucking up Diego Sanchez's career and leading to uh, Diego's release from the UFC so there's so many other factors leading into it it's, it's unfortunate it didn't get a proper build beyond the five days because it really wasn't official or at least it wasn't announced until until the week of so um, no I, I so so I, I do think it's being overlooked but I think somewhat justifiably so. This isn't one where I'm going to sort of rail on on the fans or or in the media, whoever it is, that's saying like, eh, you know, this this win it might not resonate with them uh, in in a month or two. I don't blame them. I don't blame them. There was a lot going on. Uh, credit to Morano for getting the win, but I think even he knows he just wants to get back there as soon as possible and sort of capitalize before whatever heat there is kind of just dissipates. Okay, so there have been a lot of questions even heading into this fight, and now more specifically after this fight surrounding Cerrone's fighting future. And Dana White answered some of those questions earlier in the week, saying, essentially, look, Cowboy stepped up again. He lost his original opponent. He wants to go to 155 and have another scrap. We're going to let him do that. And AK, there have been instances where Dana and the UFC basically have gone in the opposite direction. We saw Junior Dos Santos get released. We saw Alistair Overeem have a long winning streak snapped. He gets released. We recently saw Tyron Woodley's contract run out. Doesn't look like he'll be back. BJ Penn got a lot of extra chances. And now we have Cowboy, who is winless in his last six fights, fights Nico Price to a draw. It was since overturned to a no contest, but Price lost a point in that fight for an eye poke. So all things considered, we could be looking down the barrel of a six-fight losing streak for Donald Cerrone. So ultimately, with how the UFC has been handling some of their talent as of late in 2021, are you surprised that Dane has given him another go here? No, not surprised at all. They they look. They love Cowboy Cerrone. Uh, maybe, maybe this is a situation where uh, Dana, you know, should take his affection for a fighter and use that to kind of pr- like protect them. And like you said, maybe not give him another fight. But he was, you know, he we say he lost the price fight. It was still it was competitive for much of the fight. He uh, there's the Anthony Pettis fight, which is very close, which he arguably won. The decision didn't go his way. So there's there's just enough for Cerrone and his team and his supporters and the UFC and the matchmakers and Dana White to kind of look at those moments and go, there's, st- there's still something there. 
so I, I actually believe Dana when he says, <laughs> yes, I know there's a lot of Dana says things we should disregard. But in this case, I actually do believe Dana when he says he's going to give Cerrone one more fight. And I actually also believe that he'd be uh, pretty firm in making sure it is the last fight, even if uh, even if Cerrone won. Because I'm sure if Cerrone won, he may want to compete again. I mean, that's a talk him and, and Dana would have to have afterwards. Uh, you know, again, I don't know if Dana would shut that door completely. But uh, no, in this case, this is, uh, you know, look, Dana said uh, recently also he wouldn't give Anderson Silva another UFC fight. And they've sorted that out. You know, he got uh, he got released. So he stuck to his word on that one as well. So credit to him on that. Um, obviously, it worked out for the for the company. Is so one reason they did it. But he did he did say that that's what happened. And he stuck to that. So I think he's telling the truth of Cerrone here uh, as well. And I think he has a pretty good grasp of the Cerrone situation. I think he knows him. I think he knows him fairly well. So, yeah, I think it's one and done. Your thoughts on this, Alex Wendling? I mean, this is a guy that after the Nico Price fight, Dana White said, we need to have that conversation. I think me and Cowboy need to have that conversation. Let's him go out, gets knocked out in the first round. And look, if you look if you look at this losing streak that Cowboy's on, like look at some of the names of the fighters he's lost to. There's some some big names in there. But once Alex Morono gets you, and Morono's a tough dude, no doubt about it, but I think in his 10 or 11 UFC fights, that was his second finish through all of them. So... Kind of a surprising finish to the fight overall when you look at the resumes, but are you surprised that after seeing all these other guys get released this year, UFC is like, you know what? We're going to give Donald another shot here. Definitely not surprised. There is a certain element of favoritism and loyalty that happens in the UFC, whether you like it or not. And I think that this isn't ridiculous because Cowboy's reaction after the fight, it's like, oh, I got to go back to the drawing board. I got to get back out there. Whereas before, after his loss to Conor McGregor, he's just like, I didn't even want to fight that night. And I think he kind of lost a little bit of the fan base, not lose them, but was just like, wait, what the heck? This isn't Cowboy. What do you mean you don't want to fight, but you're just going to keep taking these fights and cashing checks? So I think now that his attitude is a little bit shifted and it's like, this is what I love to do. I tried, I gave it my all. I have to go back to the drawing board and move on from this. I think that's the reason why Dana is willing to be like, okay, we'll give him one more fight. But I have to agree with Alex that if he wins or loses the next one, that it should be it. Because I was looking at all the lightweights that he could possibly face. And they're either young guys coming up or big names that are like some of the elite. And it would be kind of interesting. I don't know if we're going to match make in the next section, but if I, if it were up to me, I would just say, Donald, give it up. We've seen enough, but uh, it's not up to me. It's up to Dana White, and I definitely think that he's going to get that next shot. Yeah, I mean, just look just look at these names. Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje, Connor, Anthony Pettis, then the Nico Price fight, now the Alex Morona fight. And one point that I've made a lot over the last several days about Don Cerrone is, this is a guy that doesn't need to fight. He just likes to fight. Like he just wants to get in there and fight. He's a thrill seeker and fighting is just like a thrill for him. He doesn't need the money. He doesn't need any. He just wants to fight. He's just a scrapper. So like you guys have both sort of alluded to, you have to imagine that this next appearance for Cowboy, whatever match it begets, win or lose, you have to think it's the end of the line. So, I mean, who the hell really knows at this point, but that's what it's looking like right now. So Alex Wendling, we'll start with you. How do we handle this final matchup like do we throw him in there with another wily veteran at 155 or do we throw him a young hungry whippersnapper to kind of build another name in the organization like if you had the matchmaking book so to speak who are you matching donald cerrone up with 
Well, I would have to say I want to see how it goes with UFC 262 and how Tony Ferguson looks just because it would be cool to kind of see them rematch. And I feel like if you're going to do a Cerrone fight and it's going to be his last fight, then it should be against a big name and then it can go out with a bang no matter what. Um, Again, if it was up to me, he wouldn't be doing any more fights and he could just focus on his cowboy series that he he does a little fighting tournament on the side that's in my hometown of Virginia. So I think he could focus on that and invest more time in promoting, coaching, doing stuff that isn't going to put him at risk for any more like serious injuries. But obviously that's not Cowboys mentality. So I'm sure anyone that they give him, he's going to take on. But um, in terms of a specific name, I guess I would have to go with Tony Ferguson just because I love watching Tony Ferguson fight and I loved their fight uh, originally when Tony Ferguson won. So it could be a great redemption shot. AK, what do you think? I I gave my suggestion on our show. I don't think uh, you had the chance to weigh in on this, but if we're going to give Cerrone one more shot at 155, who are you matching him up with? Uh, two things. It has to happen in front of the fans. Uh, it's, I mean, it's just, it's just going to suck if he doesn't, if his last fight doesn't get to be in front of at least some sort of crowd. It just, it just can't end in the apex. You know, it's just like, I, I didn't love it for Daniel Cormier. I don't want that to happen for Donald Cerrone. Um, I know someone in, on our show, like I said, Mike suggested so, something in Colorado, which I think would be great and make a lot of sense if they can make that happen. But who knows, uh, who knows where we'll be, or I say where the United States will be uh, in you know four, three, four, or five months from now. So uh, that's the first thing. Secondly, I actually went uh, higher, Mike, thinking about I, I, uh, weight class wise. I don't, I know uh, one to five is ideal for him, but if it's his last fight, why cut weight? Why do you want to cut weight? And also, there's just a bunch of veteran names that I kind of still want to see him fight. So I'm thinking Carlos Condit, I think, would be a great fight. Uh, Matt Brown, he's fighting Diego Lima, the team. But I think uh, winner moves, I think it'd be, uh, I'd like to see Matt Brown. Tim Means, Tim Means, he was supposed to fight uh, Cerrone a few years ago and it fell through for uh, for uh, Tim Means, uh, failed to drug test and like that. So they're, they're all good names. But you know what would have been a great, this can't happen now, you know what would have been a great retirement bout, guys? Uh, Cowboy versus Alan Chauvin. Cowboy versus Alan Chauvin would have been like perfect. It was such Great celebration of two guys' careers. I mean, Cerrone, obviously, a lot more UFC experience than Jobin, but I mean, Jobin, pretty out there. He's you know he's a broadcaster, commenter. His face is ever on UFC programming, so pretty well-known guy. I think it would have been a great fight. Sh- I'm happy. I shouldn't say it's a shame. I'm happy. Happy to Alan Jobin, uh, you know, knew when to call it quits. Uh, but otherwise, that for me would have been like one of my top choices to, to send Cerrone off. Yeah, personally, I like the Jim Miller idea. Run that one back. I know it was seven years ago, but. Cowboy at least has confidence that he can beat Jim Miller since he already did. And of course, Miller would want that one back. So that's fun. I, I, a lot of people like the Joe Lozon idea. And of course, being a fellow Bostonian, got no issue with that fight. I would enjoy that very much. But uh, I do like Alex Wendling's idea with Tony Ferguson if he loses to Benil Dariush. Because if you go back and, and think about that fight, Cerrone was very competitive in that fight against, Donald, uh, against Tony Ferguson. He was scoring. It was just kind of the unfortunate incident with the nose and the eyes that that called the fight short. So we'll see what happens. We're going to get ready for this Saturday, UFC 262. The points for round two goes to... A.W. Alex Wendling on the boards, one-to-one. A.W. with the dub. Woo! Sarcastic clap. 
Salty golf clap over Way there. Way to go. Way to go, <laughs> Alex. Way to go. You salty. <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, sodium, let's my nice sodium here. levels are rising. My sodium levels are rising. <laughs> We're gonna take a trip down south, my friends, to Houston, Texas, the site of UFC 262, main event for the vacant lightweight title. We got Charles Oliveira taking on Michael Chandler. A very interesting matchup for sure. But we talked about this when the fight was announced, AK. And now that we're a little over 48 hours away from this fight, I think it's fair to bring this conversation up again, knowing what we know and seeing how things at 155 look right now. So with Habib out of the equation, we got Dustin Poirier getting ready to fight Conor McGregor in July. Justin Gaethje, the last interim champion before doing what 28 others have done before him, losing to Habib, is not in this equation now that we're 48 hours away, okay, is this the right fight for the to crown a new champion at 155? Like, should the UFC have gone a different direction, all things considered? Or do you think they hit the nail on the head, so to speak? This is the right fight. Look, this is the right fight. I, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm at a bit of an advantage here because I did just uh, this morning, Jed and I uh, did publish a Great Divide feature discussing, uh, well, it was more who is the best lightweight, who will be, you know, recognized the best lightweight after UFC 262. So you can find that, guys, on MMAfighting.com. Go read it. Uh, so I have some thoughts on this already. But, I mean, the phrasing of this uh, this question, are, is it the right title fight? I'm even more confident saying yes uh, because, look, we, we know the circumstances around it. Just looking at their resumes. Just look at their resumes. Oliveira, one of the best fight finishers, super exciting. Beating everyone the UFC has asked him to. Okay, he can't he can't book his own fights. He can't book his own fights against Justin Gaethje, against Justin Poirier, Conor McGregor. Of course, he'd love to fight those guys. He doesn't he doesn't get them. Why would they want to fight him? He's dangerous. Most submissions UFC history fourteen tied for most finishes with Cerrone at sixteen. Dominated Tony Ferguson. We got we got he got his top five opponent. Dominated him. Finished everybody else except for Paul Felder. But whatever, everyone you know, there's no shame in that. Lightweight stacked. Everyone has losses to great fighters. That's how it goes. His last loss over three years ago. So look, he he he's got the he's got the resume. So eight straight eight straight wins now, nine straight wins, eight of those by finish. He passes the he passed the eye test. You watch him. If you watch Oliveira fight, you you say this guy looks like he has the skills to be the best in the world. So for me, he's as good as anybody at 155. If he won, he'd be a worthy champion. And I think so would Michael Chandler. I really do. Look, I I I won't argue that the competition that he faced in Bellator is necessarily uh, as strong as what he would have faced in the UFC. If he had been in that company the past few years, but again, he he beat pretty much everyone he's supposed to beat. Yeah, that's put in front of him. Pitbull, fine, he lost to Pitbull, no question. Will Brooks twice, uh, Brent Primus, Eddie Alvarez, but he beat Primus in the rematch. He beat Alvarez the first time, so really only two sort of unavenged losses, if you want to look at it that way. I, I and, and and you can't really put Pitbull above him because of one fight. There's a body of work has to be considered here, and Chandler's is very good. Okay, there's a reason uh, the UFC promoted him. Unlike they had any other Bellator fighter coming in, uh, obviously a marketable guy, good good with public speaking, but also they respected what he did. They respected that and believed that they could sell him as a potential contender, which he is now officially he's, he's fighting for the title. So I think he's earned a shot too. And 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 just to address all the other names in there, uh, Gaethje for sure uh, is credible, but I mean I don't understand why he shouldn't have to win one more fight just to get back in the picture. Um, Poirier I think has the strongest case. He chose to fight Conor McGregor. That, that was the choice. And I'm nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying he made the wrong choice. There's a lot of money there. And Conor McGregor, same thing. He'd rather fight Poirier than, than jump into a, a vacant title shot against, against Chandler or Oliveira, apparently. So, again, it just comes down to Oliveira and Chandler. Uh, they've done what a contender should do. They've, they've booked themselves fights. They've won fights. Argue whoever you want. Who, who's the best? I mean, I would look, if we're being honest, Khabib could get off the couch and beat any of these guys. Uh, but 
this is the right matchup right now. So I give credit to the UFC and to Oliveira and Chandler for signing on for this. I, I don't think they could have done better given the circumstances. Alex, let me be clear. When I when I look at this fight in particular, this from a stylistic perspective, I love this fight. I have no idea how it's going to play out on Saturday. And I think if these guys fought 50 times, it would be different each and every time they fought. That's just how their styles match up. But thinking about it, I feel like the majority of people feel like Charles Oliveira deserves to be in this fight. While on the other side, there's some folks who feel like Michael Chandler, just because he had one win over Dan Hooker, maybe he shouldn't be getting that shot. Tony Ferguson said he had the Dana White privilege at the press conference today. So all things considered, do you feel like these are the two guys that should be fighting for the lightweight title on Saturday? Ultimately, I think there wasn't really any other route that you could have gone. Uh, Dustin has been, uh, he has said that he wants to fight for his legacy and a more legacy building uh, fight and route was to go with a Connor trilogy. So you can't, obviously we wanted to involve Dustin in any way we could, but that wasn't the route to go. So where could you go from there? Justin Gaethje's coming off of a loss that really made you question everything about what we knew about him. We knew he lost to um, Dustin Poirier and then he had such a dominant win over Tony Ferguson. But then when you get dominated in the fashion you did against Khabib, you just can't be thrown into a championship. Uh, you can't be in the running for that. So I think you always have to expect the unexpected when it comes to the UFC too. Because when I heard this news, it was just so shocking to me. I didn't even think of them as an option. But when you come out with... Uh, for your debut and knock out someone from city kickboxing, Dan Hooker, who is absolutely no slouch, who gave Dustin Poirier the run for his money. You know, I think you deserve it. And you've been in Bellator, been a three-time champ. You can't really say that he doesn't deserve it. And also you have to question uh, Charles Oliveira never being in a five-round match before, whereas Chandler has all this experience of being the champ, having that pressure on him. And also I think it's going to be really tough for Charles Oliveira to get um, Michael on his back because his wrestling is so good. And I feel like when you have really strong wrestling, that can kind of counter out the jujitsu. But you're, you have a guy that's never been submitted going against someone with the most submissions in UFC or tied for most submissions. So it's so exciting. There really wasn't any other route that you could go. And there's absolutely no complaints about this card coming up. So I'm super excited to watch it. So one thing that I am curious about is what I'll call the DC factor. Like when Daniel Cormier was the light heavyweight champion, no matter you know what, what sort of run he had or when he had it, a lot of people put an asterisk on it. Like John Jones never lost his title. John's the real champion, yada, yada, yada. So Alex, let me ask you this, Alex Wendling, will there be an asterisk on this title run for whoever wins this fight? And, and let me add, does it depend on who wins? I think there will have to be an asterisk until they defend it. And then that can really be, you know, the stamp on it that this is really the champion. And I think uh, Michael said, people are going to say that I'm undeserving of this, but they're going to grow to like me when I am defending it and proving myself again and again. And like Dana said in the press conference, timing is key. So sometimes things just work out the way they're supposed to. I said in the last uh, Between the Links that everything happens for a reason. Yoel came out of Bellator because of the injury. And I think that was meant to be because I think Anthony Rumble would have had a, a real struggle not having a tune-up fight. So timing is everything. And 
Um, in this situation, I think that uh, Michael Chandler is going to come out with a win. But uh, I, I honestly kind of blanked on what the question is now. <laughs> yes, the asterisks. Like if, if, if Oliver oh, wins, will there be an asterisk? If Chandler wins, will there be an asterisk? Yeah, I think if either one wins that they're going to have to prove it in their first title defense. But um, yeah, I think the asterisk will be there just because of all the circumstances of Khabib not returning and Dana dragging it on for so long. Like, yeah, he's coming back and leaving it so that no one was fighting for it. So I think there will be an asterisk just uh, just for that. What do you think, AK? Because there's a part of me that feels like if Charles Oliveira wins on Saturday... I don't think we're going to hear the asterisk talk as much, but if Michael Chandler wins, I feel like we, we may hear it more and fair or not. That's what my gut is telling me. What are your thoughts on this? Cause I feel like it's going to be attached to either guy, but I think more so if Chandler wins, do you agree with that sentiment? Yeah, I think that's spot on. I mean, look, Chan, uh, Oliveira has a much longer uh, record with the UFC fans who only watch the UFC know him. To them, uh, Chandler's still an interloper. He's still a guy who came over from the quote-unquote B-League, which obviously I don't believe that at all. But that that is the perception of for a lot of fans of anything that's not UFC. It's all just it's all one big it's all one B-League all clumped together, uh, which is absurd. But but yeah, that that is the thinking. That said, I, I I do think Chandler has done and the UFC again have done such a great job pushing him. I don't know if you've been keeping up with the embeddeds. It's like it's like eighty percent Chandler. Like he's doing a lot of the talking. It's a lot of it's like a featured a lot of things in his life, and he does a good job with it. Bellator did this with him too. Bellator knew what they had with him. They put him front and center at a lot of things. So the guy does a good job of presenting himself as champion. And to the casual fan who's not a UFC hardcore, uh, if they're only familiar again with that last fight and this fight, they might not that be hard. It might not be that hard to sway them to see him as the rightful lightweight champion. He does exude this championship quality. I think Oliveira does too in somewhat of a more a, a quieter way. He's a very uh, comes off as a very humble guy. Again, he's never kind of done that thing where he's he's campaigned to be, oh, I'm the best, I'm the real pound for pound, I should be fighting this guy, I should be fighting this guy. He wants those fights, but he, again, usually just ends up taking whatever fights come his way, right? So uh, I do think, uh, unfortunately, both guys will have the shadow of Khabib looming over them, fair or not. Um, again, I mentioned earlier, so I can't, I can't deny it. Um, and of course, I think someday, uh, should either guy go on a dominant run, who knows, maybe Habib comes back. That's always what I said would be, um, what would make Habib come back. Someone goes on a dominant run. He takes his time off from the sport for one of uh, 18 months, two years, who knows how long and comes back and fights one of these guys. So it, it happens to everyone. I think it happened to Hendricks and Lawler after GSP kind of just walked away with the title. I don't think anyone thought that a GSP couldn't beat Robbie Lawler back then. Michael Bisping was a champion uh, during like when your Romero was out there, Robert Whitaker was out there. Uh, Musashi was out there and, and, you know, no one really bought him as a champion. So it's funny having the UFC title is, is a great thing. Uh, it certainly gives you, you know, a, a massive amount of prestige, but given how deep the roster is, you're also always going to be scrutinized. And I do think that's going to happen to either Oliveira or Chandler, no matter what happens on uh, Saturday. Uh, the classic blessing and a curse, AK. Good point. Uh, so, AK, back to you. I mean, we do have the matchmaking show on Sunday, and maybe plans will change come Sunday morning when we record on to the next one, and we see how this all plays out. But who do you think is next for the winner of this fight? Like, is it the winner of Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor, no matter what? Is it Poirier or Bust? Is it Justin Gaethje, who, by the way, if you go to the scorecards for the Khabib fight, two judges gave Justin Gaethje the first round. There are not many people in this world who can say they want to round off Khabib Nurmagomedov. 
Is it between those guys? Is it somebody else? Like, what do you think is next for whoever comes out of this main event with the title on Saturday night? Spoiler for uh, on to the next one, listeners. Don't even bother listening to the show. It's no, please don't. Please listen to the show. We need that. Otherwise, I, I won't get to eat. Um, it's poor Amy McGregor. It's a poor Amy McGregor winner. What are we doing? This is this is. Uh, I'm not saying that. I look. I'm not Jed. I don't. I don't speak in absolutes. Obviously, if Justin Gaethje uh, the title, it'd be great. Just who doesn't want to get in big fights? That's insane. But. Poor McGregor. If it's McGregor, I'm, I just I don't see why the UFC wouldn't book that. I think he'd rather fight Chandler than Oliveira. I think Oliveira is a straight up nightmare for him, as he is for many people in the division. But either way, who, who, no matter who won, I think it would be really strange for McGregor not to give. <laughs> it's weird to say McGregor not give them, not give the champion an opportunity to fight him. But he is the money fight. Let's let's be honest here. We all we all know what we're talking about when we when we talk about getting a McGregor fight. So, um, yeah, it has to be the winner of that fight. And Poirier, of, of course, would be all in. You know, he'd have resolved that that trilogy. He he knows in his that that people see him as the number one ranked guy. I believe he is actually number one ranked in the uh, UC.com rankings. So, uh, yeah, it has to be the winner of that fight. All kinds of shenanigans could happen uh, where it ends up not being them or Gaethje, who knows? And then uh, maybe Tony Ferguson, I don't know, beats Darius and ends up in the title picture again somehow. But uh, no, it should be if I'm waving my magic, uh, my magic matchmaker's wand, it is the winner of Poirier and McGregor. Agree or disagree, Alex Wendling? I was just laughing that Casey didn't put the one comment someone put, my guy Alex Kaylee's mom is washing dishes nearby. Sorry, that just oh, it's like that. Oh, it's like that. <laughs> hey, hey, uh, hey, hey, Michael Rockhold. Hey, hey, Michael Rockhold. You're banned. You're banned. Oh, it's like but that. It's like I that. totally agree that any route they go, um, Conor McGregor is going to be the big money fight for anyone. I think. Uh, I think it'd be interesting to see Justin Gaethje go up against Charles Oliveira if he does lose. Um, I think that'll be a very interesting one. But if Michael Chandler ends up being the champ, uh, who should he face next? Um, definitely Dustin Poirier. I guess it depends on who wins the match coming up. But um, I would love to see Chandler versus Dustin Poirier. I think there was a big reason why Dustin took the Conor McGregor fight, obviously for the money. But I think um, Dustin not taking the fight with Chandler kind of shows that there is something to be worried about with uh, with the Bellator B team guy and why he didn't want to take that fight. I see Joseph Boza suggesting maybe Benil Dariush if he beats Tony Ferguson. Yeah, he's on a good streak, but I don't think he's to that title shot just yet. But he's very close. He's probably a win or two away. He's not out about that. But uh, I'm telling you, really dive in to Oliveira versus Chandler. It is a great fight. And, uh, of course, we're going to be all over all things UFC 262 tomorrow, starting with the weigh-in show, which, AK, I believe it's at 10 a.m. Eastern. Is that what's going down? I don't know. I should know this. I, I love weigh-in shows. And, I've, Sen- and I and yes. I did not get my weigh-in show fixed last time because it, it lasted like 40. It was over like 40 minutes. Hopefully this time around you get your fix, but I believe it'll be 10 a.m. Eastern time because uh, of the central time zone. Uh, we'll have ceremonial weigh-ins on the page. We'll have preview show and more. So keep it locked here in MMA fighting for all things UFC 262. But we're going to take a look at the card as a whole, as we award the points for round three to two in a row for Alex Wenling. Got to give it to her. 
That little comment I'm, shot at the AK end. Really yeah, congrats. Yeah, congrats. AK congrats. Did the, assist to, uh, the assist to Michael Rockhold. <laughs> Luke Rockhold's little brother, Michael, coming through. Yeah, well done. With, well uh, done. W- way to monitor the comments, too, Alex. Nicely done. So I take a peep at them every now and then. <laughs> I usually pretty zoned in, though. <laughs> yes. So... The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. UFC 262 as it stands right this moment. For the main card, we have the title fight we just talked about. We got Ferguson versus Dariush. We have Matt Schnell versus Rogerio Bontarin. Kaylin Chukagin versus Viviani Araujo. Really love that fight. And Shane Burgos versus Edson Barboza. Hashtag banger alert. That is your main card. Yes, we lost a couple of fights. We lost Leon Edwards versus Nate Diaz. And earlier this week, we lost Jack Hermanson versus Edmund Shabazi. And that's going to go down next Saturday in Las Vegas. But Alex Wendling, we begin with you. We got some solid prelim fights as well. But looking at this card on paper right now, what grade are you giving it? I'll give it a B. Maybe it, it definitely would have been an A had Nate Diaz been on it, but I give it a B just because. Um, I mean, actually, I take that back. I give it a B plus. That's like a solid eighty nine percent, right? Throwback to grades. Um, I really like the Edson Barbosa fight. I think I'm excited to see his kicks go on. Um, and then I also love to see Caitlin Chukagian. She's always out hustling, even though she doesn't really get that much recognition because it's really hard for her to break through to the really elite. But um, I think the really juicy stuff that we're going to see is really only in that uh, main and co-main event, at least what I'm particularly interested in. So that's why I'm giving it a B plus. A B plus from AW, AK. You didn't think losing the Edwards Diaz fight would have a huge impact on the card as a whole. Not sure how much of an impact losing Hermanson Shabazian has on from your perspective, but uh, what do you grade this card on paper looking at it as we speak? Like I think it's time for me to break out the gymnastics scoring system again. <laughs> the uh, much the much missed. I know people missed it. I know people missed it. Uh, Alex Wendling, you're not familiar with the scoring system uh, if you've ever watched uh, gymnastics. I know mo- no most MMA fans are fans of gym- of high level gymnastics, of course. Uh, you know, you 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 uh, a routine is created, and then the, that routine has the as a, a score potential under difficulty and technical aspects that are included. Again, why am I explaining this to MMA fans? MMA fans know this. Uh, so, so this to me, this card, uh, top two fights, bangers, absolute bangers. Okay, so a great showcase for lightweight division. Can't go wrong there. Burgos Barbosa is like uh, I think the front runner fight of the night, maybe a fight of the year candidate. So there you go. That's three strong main card fights already. And I think uh, we tend. I know we're talking about top to bottom. But I think when the main delivers, 
we, it, we does tend to sort of elevate the whole, like all the whole proceedings. We kind of forget any, like anything that did, didn't happen uh, earlier on the show. So I think there's a big potential for those three fights to like really pay off. And we won't worry if there was maybe, maybe a couple of listless decisions on the preliminaries or hopefully no illegal knees or anything like that. Uh, you know, that's, you know, that's the, that's the trend these days. Um, and there's some good sleep. I like Chanel versus Bontarine. That's on the main card. I, I think, I guess, I think that one got bumped up. Uh, that maybe that's the one that got bumped up because uh, when Shabazian and Hermanson got taken out, but I like that fight. Um, I'm not, like I said, I'm not as jazzed with the prelims, but uh, but otherwise, I'm gonna go, Mike. I'm not going high as nine. I'm going degree of difficulty and with technical elements that I've considered. I think this could, if everything pays off and we have a strong main card and a memorable main card, eight point five. Eight point five. Okay, it could be. It That's could go that high. That's a B. That's a strong B. So remember, and so it's that's for me as high as it can go. That's if everything delivers. I think that's as high as it can go, and then and then you go down. So so people don't don't criticize me when I'm doing whatever the post show on Saturday, and I'm saying like ah, this card was a seven or a six point five. I'm saying it's eight point five is the peak, the potential of this card, and then we deduct points from there. Thank you for right. clarifying. I was going to totally give you shit if it was delivered. <laughs> Unless I was going to let you know in that comment section. <laughs> I'm afraid you of you now. The- I'm afraid of you yes. now, so now I have to amend my comments. <laughs> well, I mean, as, as fun as this matchup is, I think the co-main event is a doozy at 155 on Saturday. We got Tony Ferguson versus Benil Dariush, and when we spoke about Ferguson Oliveira in December, a lot of people in the media space said that that fight was a quote-unquote crossroads fight for Tony Ferguson coming off the loss to Justin Gaethje. And now he's lost two straight. He was dominating both of those fights against Oliveira and Gaethje. And now he gets a surging under-the-radar contender in Benil Dariush. So, AK, I'm curious, what do you feel is at stake here for Tony Ferguson Saturday night? Like, is this, if it's not a crossroads fight, is this is this do or die for Tony Ferguson? Like, do you feel like there is a chance he's fighting for his job on Saturday? I think do or die is a little strong. I definitely lean more towards the, the crossroads phrasing. And even that, I feel like it's maybe a little too dramatic. Uh, look, I know Tony's up there in age. I think he's now 37. Don't tell me he's 38. Don't tell me he's 30. 37, right? 37. Or he just turned 38? Sorry, guys. I should, I should know this. He turned 37 in February. Excuse me. I just looked that up. He's uh, and he's got a lot of he's got a lot of mileage. He's got a lot of miles. You know, we talk about actual age and of course in fighter age he's way up there um and i know a lot of people will and, and so this is what's on the line a lot of people are going to say if he can't beat benil Dariush, that his best years are behind him which is probably indisputable but that doesn't mean that he can't continue to have a productive usc career i think look here's why it's not that we just talked about donald Cerrone getting one more fight so if donald Cerrone can get one more fight and not to mention you know fight his way through whatever this five or six fight winless streak Ferguson's what two fights into is now two fights into a, his first losing streak of his career. It, it it sounds terrible to say it can get worse. It can get worse, but it could also get better. I still think he's one of the ten best lightweights in the world. Uh, and I sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a second. I still think he's one of the ten best lightweights in the world. And I think maybe if we just go a little bit outside of the like the top five, the absolute elite of the lightweight, he can still rack up some quality wins. Uh, and part of me still wants to see, see him. Give it a shot at 170. If I'm being honest, I'm, I'm just curious. So, uh, so that's the uh, my thoughts for for uh, Tony. No, we're not we're not anywhere near seeing the end. I bet he fights in the UFC for another at least another two years. What do you think, Alex? Do you think it's do or die for Tony Ferguson, or is that a bit of a stretch? Uh, I definitely think the behavior at the press conference is probably going to make it more 
close to the die. I mean, I know he's trying to sell it and stuff, but when you're dealing with a company like the UFC and you're kind of calling things out the way you perceive it, but it can be taken the wrong way for the people that are up top. Um, I think it could be, it could be his last shot. It depends on how he loses though. Like if he loses, like how Tyron lost to Vicente and uh, Gilbert Burns in such a dominant fashion, then it's just like, well, shit. But I have to agree with um, or disagree with him going to welterweight. I think that's the last thing that he should do. He was getting absolutely manhandled by Charles Oliveira. So I think if you add even more strength and try to put him in the welterweights, that's just going to be exemplified even more. I think when you're, uh, I guess, 37 or whatever age he is, 38, um, and you go up in weight, I think there's only so much muscle mass that you can actually uh, put on that'll be usable when um, when you're fighting against people in the welterweight division. So I don't think he should go up. I think that he might have two or three more fights in the lightweights, but definitely not going against anyone that he would want to because he's trying to get back to the belt and try to still have big name fights. But we'll see against uh, Benil Dariush. He was really talking some smack in the press conference and Benil is no slouch. He trains at King's MMA and he was keeping it calm, cool and collected, not really letting Tony get under his skin. So I think, uh, I don't know if it's going to be after the fight where they respect each other and are like, oh man, that was all just for, for show because Tony He's a crazy mofo. He's El Kukui, spooky, boo, ah, I'm scared. Like, he's crazy. If his arm is about to snap in half from Charles Oliveira, he's not going to tap out. So I think that is what will keep him in the UFC because he's just crazy. He's like an icon to the UFC, but with the other stuff that goes around it and maybe not being Dana White's best friend or getting the Dana White privilege, I think that'd be the only reason why he wouldn't continue. But for the most part, I definitely feel like he's going to keep keep going. Everyone loves Tony Ferguson. You heard him in the press conference today. People were going crazy for him. I always wonder, and I hate going down these rabbit holes, like what life would be like if Tony never tripped over that cord before the Habib fight. Like I feel like everything just kind of changed from that moment on in his life and his career. So it's a dangerous, dangerous road to go down. No doubt about it. So let's talk about something else. We like to talk about the low-key bangers on these cards, Alex Wendling. What's that? What's the fight on this card on Saturday that you have circled that could steal the show that isn't getting a lot of buzz? Definitely the Shane Burgos versus uh, Barbosa. Um, they covered it a little bit on the uh, Unlocking Victory with Dominic Cruz, Gilbert Melendez. So I'm excited to see how that goes down just because I love watching kicks and Edson Barbosa is just the king of that. Um, really knowing the technical side to it from unlocking victory made me much more interested. Uh, and I definitely think it takes a cake over Caitlin Chukagian. And um, I don't think it's, I honestly think it might outshine um, the co-main event if Benil Darius just ends up being able to completely uh, control Tony Ferguson. So we're going to have to see where that goes. But I think that that fight has the potential to really start off the fight card with a bang. AK, what do you think? Loki banger. Listen, Wendling, uh, I don't want to go full Jose Young's on you here. No one should ever go full Jose Young's on anything. Um, 
But that's you can't call Burgos Barbosa a sleeper. That's one of the most highly anticipated fights on this card. It's a main card fight. It's on their pay per view. It's in Barbosa's net. It's not a sleeper, for goodness sakes. Uh, here's I'll t- you want to know a sleeper? Here's a sleeper. The very first fight on the friggin' card, the first early prelim, the return of Sean Soriano to the UFC, uh, taking on the always game, always tough Christos Giagos. So uh, this is a fight who, uh, when it first was booked, uh, uh, Soriano stepping as a replacement for um, Joel Alvarez. I was kind of like. I, I didn't think much of it. And then I kind of remembered more about uh, how talented Soriano is and how much damage he's been doing outside the UFC. This will be his second run. Um, and so I'm actually really excited. I think I think Soriano is a case of a guy, again, talented guy, who probably got signed maybe before he was ready. Uh, he also fought some good competition. So I think this is a little bit closer to the level where he should have been fighting against in his first run with the UFC. He's better than he was before. He's a great striker. Again, Giago's uh, super tough. So... That uh, is the definition of a sleeper. I would tell people, do not miss that very first fight of the early prelims. I know, I know I'm not saying watch every fight in this card, but if you're going to catch any of the prelims, tune into this first one and then go do whatever you got to do if there's some other fights you're not interested in. But Soriano, Jagos, there's your sleeper. That's going to be a crazy fight, AK. I will agree with you on that one because you mentioned New England, Sean Soriano, hashtag Rhode Island. And, uh, secondly, you get, Accidental. you get two guys. To do that. Yeah, and you get two guys who just throw bolos all day long until they run out of gas, which both of them will probably do if we're being honest by the third round. So if it gets that far, so that's a great fight. Ladies and gentlemen, regulation is, has ended. The point for round four goes to. Alex Kaylee. It's two to two. Long-time listeners of this program, not surprised because that's how this program works. We just debate you and never know, get Mike. to a tie and we go to the knockout. Mike, you never know. You never know. You never know. I was down. I'm, I was down on the cards. You just never know. So we are going to head to the knockout round now. We didn't get to do a knockout round last week because I suck at math, but we're going to do it right now. And one question will decide it all. Neither competitor knows what this question is. Alex Wendling is freaking out. And they will each have yes. 60 seconds to give their response. Once that is done, we will go to Judge Casey Lydon, who had the week off from judging on the Gauntlet Show last week for the most part. He will render the final decision. So AK is going to love this news I'm about to drop right now. We are introducing a brand new segment to the knockout round this week, and I think this will be very interesting and a lot of fun. So before we explain what this is all about, Alex Wendling since we don't have a champion on the panel right now, and because we are a classy crew here on Between the Links, you have the option. Would you like to go first and put the pressure on AK, or would you like to pass it on to AK and let him show you the way? I guess I'll go second. Okay, just the way AK likes it. Just the way AK <laughs> oh, likes it. When, oh, Wendling. Oh, when, when will anyone in this show learn? This man always goes right. first. <laughs> I wish I prepared Casey for this. So we'd have some uh, some inaugural segment music, but we're going to welcome you to the inaugural knockout round segment on BTL called What is Dana White Really Saying? So here's how it works. We're going to have three options. You pick one, two, or three, and each number will represent something that UFC President Dana White has actually said this week, and it is up to you to interpret if he is if he actually believes what he says 
and explain why, or you can give your take on what he is actually saying in said quote. So, Mr. A.K. Lee, you have the option one, two, or three. Number one, baby. Number one. Every time. Number one. You don't have to be Dana White. You're just interpreting what he's trying to say here. So Dana White was asked by ESPN's Brett Akimoto earlier this week about a possible comeback for one Nick Diaz. And Dana White responded, my whole thing with Nick Diaz is I just question how bad he really wants to fight. We got together. We had a great conversation, talked about a possible comeback for him. I just don't know. We'll see how it plays out this summer and the rest of the year. It's just the amount of time that he's taken off already. When you hear him talk about fighting, when you hear him talk about the sport, and I sit down daily or talk to daily hungry young savages that want to break into the top 10, become world champions, all that stuff, Nick Diaz has done it all, seen it all. He's been in big fights. I just don't see that in him when I talk to him. So that's what Dana White said to Brett Okamoto. What is Dana White actually saying here, AK? 60 seconds on the clock. Your time starts now. Mike. Oh, Mike. I am fluent in Dana Whitey's at this point. I think you have to be uh, for anyone to be in this industry. And this is this is uh, this is like year one, Dana learning Dana White speak. The the classic, I don't know if he wants to come back. Ah, I don't I don't know if he has it anymore. We've heard it with GSP <laughs> most prominently. We've heard it with many, many fighters uh, when Dana White, uh, I, I would argue, oh, we just heard it with John Jones ahead of the Francis Ngannou fight. How badly does he really want the Ngannou fight? And look, it always boils down to, I'm sorry, this is a cliche answer. It always boils down to, we're not reaching a deal financially. This person's asking too much. They probably want more money uh, than, than they normally get. They're probably to negotiate something beyond the contract that they're signed to. So in Dana White's speak, this is uh, Diaz asking for a certain opponent. He's asking for it at a certain price. He's asking to probably at a certain time. He wants it done on Nick Diaz's time. And Dana White does not, is not going to bow down to that. So how does he cover all those things in one topic? I don't know how badly Nick Diaz wants it. So there you go. That's again, year one Dana White. Okay. There you go. AK's knockout round responses in. We head on over to Alex Wenling. You have two doors that you have the choice to open. Door number two or door number three, Alex? I'm going to open lucky number three. Lucky number three. Let me click on it. Uh, there we go. I lost it. Okay, there we go. Okay, Alex, this is Dana White speaking to former BTL competitor Aaron Bronstetter earlier this week about the soon-to-be biggest free agent in, in MMA come January 1st, 2022, Kayla Harrison, about potentially coming to the UFC. This is what Dana White had to say. I don't know if she's ready. I mean, when she feels like she's ready, I'm always looking for the best possible people to come in and fight. If you don't think that we've offered her to come over, I just don't know if her people think she's ready yet. It's a whole other level when you get here. Amanda, Jermaine Duranami, Holly Holm, Aspen Ladd, you got Juliana Pena, the list goes on and on. It's a lot tougher when you come over here, so I don't know if they think she's ready or not, but we'll find out. So that's Dana White speaking about Kayla Harrison to TSN's Aaron Bronsitter. What is he actually saying here, Alex? One minute on the clock. Your time starts right now. I think what he is really saying is he likes to paint out this picture and give people 
give a chance for there to be a story. So you see with that uh, PFL fighter, Brendan Lachnan, who won his Dana White contender series fight, but he ended it on a takedown and it was a little bit boring. He said, oh, I don't want him because he ended it on a takedown. We kind of see a common theme of Dana dismissing people and making it seem like he's not insulting them, but just that they're not ready, that uh, he has uh, his interests elsewhere. So I think by him saying that, it's just a little bit of a teaser to get Kayla Harrison uh, hyped up and prove him wrong so that when she does end up making that jump over, there's just gonna be that much more of a story behind that they can build for these promos and different things. So I think everything Dana says is with uh, good intention for a scheme and that I think he really does think Kayla does have what it takes he's trying to light the fire under her. Okay, by the way, Behind door number two was Dana White responding when asked about Jake and Logan Paul, if he would ever do business with them. So that could have been a, a very interesting conversation here for the knockout round as well. Now we turn it on over off of my shoulders altogether. This is why I love doing this. I don't have to decide the winner. I have no pressure on me. So we turn it on over to the judge, the jury, the executive producer, Mr. E. Casey Lydon in the truck. You've heard the arguments. You've heard the 60 seconds from each of these Alex's. Which Alex moves on to face Jed Mishu for the interim between the links title next Thursday, right here on this program? <clears throat> this was a great competition, first of all. Amazing, just just a wonderful competition. I love this. This is like this is pride matchmaking. The prospect versus the vet. I mean, if if AK Lee. I mean, A.K. Lee, one more loss. Who knows? Like, is he done? Is he cut? You know? <laughs> I mean, this is this is uh, this is great matchmaking. So it's like, could A.K. Lee do it? You no, know, does he have one more run in him at the title? Oh boy. Okay, I made a decision. Your winner. Alex, Kaylee, AK. Wow. Wow. Put the number on the board. Put the number on the board. You are Put the number. You are fluent. Put the, <laughs> put the number on the board. Put it up right there. Put the number on the board. I'm, I'm, I'm there. Oh, there it is. It worked. Okay, good. Wow! Yeah, what a battle! I never thought. What a I never thought that day would come. Oh, I'm sweating. I'm. This is a. This is a dry fit. This is a dry. I. I dry fit shirt. Thank goodness, because I am sweating. Alex versus Alex Woo. was an instant classic, ladies and gentlemen. So, AK, you know how it works. You get 30 seconds to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about, good, bad, and nah. different in the sport of mixed martial arts. No, no, no. Listen, listen, Mike. Uh, I, as the winner, as the rare winner, I, I would like to defer uh, in this case because I think Alex Willing put out. An, I'm not saying I didn't win, by the way. I, I kicked ass today. But I will, as, as Alex Wendling is our guest, I would like to get, and, and I think a lot of our viewers just might not be super familiar with who Alex is yet, I would like to give her a bit of a platform to uh, promote her ideologies. I don't know what to talk about today. But uh, yes, I I will take my win and take confetti in the W. So, uh, Alex Wendling, please take, take, take the time and, and educate these people. 
I'm just so happy to have been able to do this. This is so fun. It gives me that adrenaline pump I need. Like I want to take a midday nap sometimes and no, this just like picks me back up. I'm going to get back to work on the morning combat stuff below the belt. Chuck Diaries. We had Michael Chandler a while ago. So if you guys want to watch that before UFC 262, go do it. But this isn't the last you'll see of me unless, you know, I, I don't have a future in this. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll have to find out. Uh, yep. <laughs> You'll be back. You will be back. This is Mike. This is the uh, hugs and handshakes. You know, you know, after we've had a heated fight now, we can, we can hug, hug it out. We can handshake it out after. And then come Monday or Tuesday, I'll go on what the heck and trash talk uh, and trash talk and talk about all the dirty things she did during the fight on the, you know, right after. Oh yeah. It's all good. It's all resolved. The beef is just washed. The eye folks. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm not going to complain about those now. I'm, uh, my, uh, watch, watch me on what, what the heck uh, this week. And I will, I'll break down all the dirty stuff that happened in this fight. Next time, no, you have to actually intentionally wear the same, like a matching. Like, I think if we were all in person right now, Mike would definitely be in the middle. And then we would have Alex and Alex on the sides with our matching coordinated things going on. So, you know, yeah. there's a W in that sense. You you yes. needed it in any way or else it could have been done with you. So I'll let you have it for now. <laughs> Take your, Alex, take I, your I really, I, I really needed this. I really needed this. You have no idea. I really needed this. Okay. And AK is just, just trying to extend this show because he knows he has to go up against Jed next week and it's not going to be as friendly. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's it. There's our there, there's there, there's your winner, folks. There's one half of your interim title matchup next Thursday on the show where we'll talk the fallout of UFC 262 and so much more. Who the hell knows what's going to happen in the next seven days. But until then, for AK, for AW, I am Mike Heck. Big shout out to the judge, the jury, the executive producer, Casey Lydon on the ones and twos. We're out of here. We'll see you next week. The iconic voice of Esterlin takes you home. Good night, everybody. This has been Between the Links. I'm Esterlin. You know this because I say my name and you can tell by my beautiful voice. Thanks for watching. Hit the subscribe button. Happy birthday, AK! Stop it. (laughs) You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.